What the F is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If 2023 edition. Let the games begin. The music is sounding weird this morning. I don't know. I don't know if by the time you hear it, listeners, if it'll still sound weird. But uh, we're, we're just beginning the new year with uh, technical snafus right off the bat. That's how it goes. Yeah, you get them out of the way, right? Everybody yeah, gets exactly. like four technical snafus per year. So if you That's get them right. all done in the first week, then you're good to go. That's right. That's right. Having recently watched the World Cup, I can say I can make a, a football joke, a soccer joke. It's kind of like it's like a yellow card. Too many of them, mm-hmm. you're out. Mm-hmm. But uh, keep it keep it in check. Uh, Matt and Gabby, happy New Year! Did you have? A, I hope you had a nice one. Oh, and and uh, uh, apologies to our listeners. We were we were away again last week, but that should be it for a while. Um, we're starting off the new year. You know, I think this is our fifth year. I think we, we may have started, it's not, we started in the beginning, in the middle of the year, I think, Matt, you and I. Mm, I do not recall. But I, this is like our fifth year or something like that. It's kind of absurd. Yeah. yeah. Kind of crazy. This podcast is in kindergarten. This is a kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Gabby, how was your new year? It was good. Although 2023, I don't know if I've told you guys this, this is a little bit of a minefield year for me. Uh, for a strange and supernatural reason. Ooh. Uh, my grandmother on her deathbed told me I'd die in 2023. <gasps> this was like two years ago. Oh, my God. So I have been now essentially, uh, I don't know if I had plot armor in the years before. <laughs> like nothing could hurt me. <laughs> but now like I'm a little anxious throughout, like I think for this entire year. But my oh, plan sure. is too, to not think I'm fine until like Chinese New Year of like 2024. Like the last possible New Year I can find is when I, I'll think I'm safe for 2024. Um, wow. Maybe not the best year to be taking flights or something, but the first flight didn't kill me, so knock on wood. And then there's sirens outside. And, and, right. and, yeah. and the very, <laughs> coming for me. At the very beginning, I don't know if this, uh, I, th- I think the viewers are going to, the viewers, the listeners are going to get the full thing, but you totally froze on me, Gabby. So I missed the whole <laughs> beginning of that. I don't even know what, I, I'll look forward to the replay to understand what that story was. D- um, did she have a, a history of accurate prognostications? No. Okay. All right. No. So you probably don't but have to worry was, too much then. Eh, she woke up from a coma, focused on me, grabbed my hands and went, it's so hard on your mother. She loves you so much. It's going to be so rough on her when you die in 2023. And I went, no way. What? Wow. It was a rough one. So now, like I said, I'm walking on eggshells this entire year, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. And to own to have a 365 day window. Oh, well, horrible. again, I don't know if it's 365 days. Prophecy is something you cannot poke around with. So like, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a chance I think I'm fine. But actually, that prophecy meant like New Year, not in the Gregorian calendar, right. which is like two months calendar. later. Yeah. yeah. So now I got to start researching when every calendar's New Year is to figure out when I'm safe. <laughs> I know I'm fine by the Jewish calendar because it's not 2023. That I'm like, 
They're no. like 2,000 years ahead. That so was a I'm long fine time ago. according <laughs> to one calendar. But we gotta, yeah. I got to start picking other ones and figuring out where I'm safe. I think according wow. to, to the Jewish calendar, in 2023, they were building Stonehenge or something. About 3,000 Yeah, so ago. I'm okay with that, personally. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm at threat from that. Yeah, that timekeeping system. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. Matt, how about you? Uh, any any prophecies for twenty twenty three? Well, maybe we'll get hit by a meteor. Oh, I mean, it's no no more or less likely this year than any other year, but it's got to happen at some point. So that's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, that was a stealthy um, uh, tee up mm-hmm. of this week's if. Uh, I don't know if we've explained it in a little while. Matt, do you want to explain what is, what, and so if it's 2023, somebody just got, uh, they got a new iPhone and they've discovered podcasting for the first time. Uh, well, if show. you're tuning in here, then you are ready to, uh, hear how we are changing up the universe for our own whims. Uh, usually we pick a thing to change up, um, uh, what if humans had tails? Uh, what if Twinkies were full of meat? Uh, and then we run with the consequences and uh, hopefully learn some science along the way. Indeed, indeed. And um, <clears throat> sometimes our ifs are, uh, excuse me, sometimes our ifs are inspired by the news. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've actually been kind of trying to do that a little bit more since I read science news anyway. Um, uh, I might as well turn it into to uh, ifs. Um, there's a, a lovely little story, a real short one, in the New York Times, the New York Times Science Section, one of my favorite sources of science news. Um, there's an there's a article um, that was published called How to Watch Meteor Showers. And uh, there's a lovely picture of uh, two people laying on the, on the beach at night with a magnificent starry sky above them, mm. not like you would see in New York City, by any means. Much more beautiful than that. Uh, and it says they are enjoying the Perseid meteor shower Oh, at Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. You know, I've been there. It's beautiful. Um, and uh, anyway, it's just it's, I just refer you to that article uh, in and of itself. The, uh, the author is Adam Mann, M-A-N-N, uh, and it was published on January 1st. Um, and they, they just sort of talk about the different um, meteor showers that are coming up. He says, um, uh, the coming year should be a good one for meteor Hello. lovers. I've lost him. Have you lost him? Oh. Yeah, he's frozen. Oh, there you are. lost okay. me? Wreck. I'm still here. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we can hear you. We yeah, we can you. hear you now. Hello. Uh-oh, but now he can't hear us. That's hopeless. I, I hear you. Okay. Okay. <gasps> that was close. Yeah, boy. Boy, the internet has gone crazy today. What is going on? Um... So you can hear me now? I'm back? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Uh, so I was just quoting from the, the article. Uh, meteor showers um, occur when our planet runs into the debris fields left behind by icy comets or rocky asteroids going around the sun. And you, Matt, you can help us uh, get mm-hmm. to understand that a little bit better. Um, and, and Adam Mann, the, uh, the reporter, notes that the coming year should be a good one for meteor lovers. So 2023 is going to be good for meteor lovers. Uh, the biggest events, the summer Perseids and the winter Geminids, uh, will peak when the moon is either waning or mm. new, 
meaning its bright light won't interfere this much means something. with the spectacular displays. Uh, and those outside the United States, I know we have a lot of listeners outside the U.S., uh, those outside the United States may catch a glimpse of the Andromedids, a shower that astronomers had considered dead <laughs> until it showed some activity in 2011 and is expected to potentially return again this year. So that's kind of fun, the, the, the variations of it. Um, so from that, I thought, you know, what? I'm going to tee up our if now which we do with great fanfare. Based on the, the uh, technical snafus this morning, I can't guarantee whether uh, this will work or not. So, safety goggles on. What the if? Sounds a little weird, but we'll take it. What the if meteor showers were frequent and dangerous? Oh! Coming down on your head. Like, like imagine, you know, as frequent as the rain, let's say. As frequent as the rain in, uh, in, uh, well, in some places that where it rains more than others, but, you know, as, fre as frequent as the rain wherever you live, imagine, unless you live in the desert. More frequent. Or, or Seattle, yeah. Mm -hmm. In Seattle, it would be all, all the time. Yeah. It's kind of a light. Actually, that'd be kind of fun if the meteor showers had that kind of variability. Um, so, first of all, Matt, are meteor showers dangerous? When I was a kid, and I think Gabby, Gabby was mentioning this before the show, we grew up as kids terrified of them because it sounded terrifying. <laughs> what is it? Um, so generally, no, you don't need to, to worry about them. Um, so uh, meteor, as a, as a word, um, describes that sort of flash of light you get in the sky sometimes. Um, and it looks kind of like a star that's moving, so we call them uh, shooting stars. Uh, and that's um, exactly what those are um, is unclear for a lot of, of human history. Um, so... Aristotle, for instance, thought that they were atmospheric phenomena, like lightning. Um, so uh, that's actually why the word meteorology um, is connected to the word meteor, too. Right? So it's all about transient phenomena in the atmosphere. That's interesting. That's a pretty good guess, though. You know, that is, if you just saw mm -hmm. a shooting star, as we say, you'd think, yeah, that looks like it's just uh, some sort of something like akin to... Uh, um, well, I don't know. Did he think, did he think it was biological or mineral? No, it was, um, like I said, it was, it was a kind of weather, uh, essentially. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, yeah. and you know, there was the, the obscure explanations for it. Um, but the, uh, so it really isn't until say the uh, 17th or 18th century that people start to think that, um, it's related to astronomical phenomena in some mm. way. Uh, and that's about when people um, occasionally realize that after meteor showers, uh, you can find stuff on the ground too, like little tiny rocks and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. So it takes a while for people to sort of make that connection to, to astronomical phenomena. Um, and nowadays, what, like the regular meteor showers, like the Perseids um, that we're talking about here, are um, uh, they come from debris left behind by comets. 
Um, so if you imagine, you know, comets having these long elliptical orbits around the sun, as they travel, they leave crud behind because they're big <laughs> snowballs, right? So they leave behind dust and, and ice and chunks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that essentially sits there in space until Earth hits it. Um, and then the Earth moving into that debris field means that that debris moves through our, our atmosphere and burns up. And that's what we see as um, as the, the meteor showers. So the reason things like the Perseids happen at the same time every year is because that's the Earth moving through that part of space every year. Uh -huh. right. um, so, uh, for instance, um, you can track what comet leaves behind the debris that you get for a particular meteor shower because you uh -huh. kind of map it out through space. Um, so the Perseids, for instance, um, that this article is about is left behind by comet Swift-Tuttle, um, uh -huh. which some people may remember from the early 90s. There was some worry it was going to hit us. Um, made the cover of Newsweek and such. Uh, it's not going to hit us. But, um, so the more recently the comet comes, uh, has come through our part of the solar system, the more debris you get. So the more um, exciting the meteor showers are. Uh, so, so this is why you can sort of predict which meteor showers are going to be exciting. Because you say, well, which comet left behind the most interesting debris most right. recently? And the debris is parts of the comet itself. That's it's right. not like the com mm -hmm. it's not like the comet is manufacturing this stuff. No, although that would be interesting too. Um, yeah. A kind of Santa elf's kind of situation. There's a factory on the, the comet that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> builds things. Um, yeah. no, it, it leaves behind uh, debris like a like a toddler eating lunch um, <laughs> as it as it comes through the solar system. So when you see those flashes of light in the sky, you're seeing um, uh, little bits of comet bursting into flames. That's cool. Yeah. Now, bits of comet is a little confusing to me because I I think of asteroids mm -hmm. and I think of comets. Yeah. And asteroids, I I know what I'm thinking of the solid things that uh, could could even be so solid you could build uh, miners could dig into it and build a whole city like in the expanse. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Comets, I and like you said, dirty snowballs. That's why I imagine comets being balls of ice. So right. I imagine it's hard to imagine that being debris left behind. I, I would think of it, it, it melts. Or, oh, yeah. So let's hear. So the reason comets, so as you say, asteroids, you should think of there's, there's kind of two uh, general sorts. There's the, they're both chunks of rock, um, but one of them is big chunks of metal. Um, so like if you go to the Museum of Natural History here in New York, you can go see one of these big chunks of metal that's like yeah. the size of a car. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's uh, rocky asteroids, um, which are more like big conglomerations of pebbles kind of stuck uh. together. So there's stony ones and then there's metal ones. Um, and then comets, uh, so they pretty much just sit there because that stuff is inert and is hard to, it doesn't do anything for the most part. Yeah. Um, since comets are mostly ice and water though, um, they're a little different. So when they heat up and they heat up as they get closer to the sun, um, we all know what happens when you heat up water, right? It mm -hmm. expands, eventually turns into tea or coffee, um, and <laughs> then steam, right? So uh, the reason you can see comets easily in the sky is because as they heat up, um, the water turns into steam or water vapor and kind of blasts off of the surface. So the, the tail of the comet that you see is this boiling off 
of ice and water into into space. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so that's how kind of crap is getting launched off of it, right? Yeah. So it's not just the solid dirty snowball, it's a dirty snowball that's actively boiling and throwing pebbles out in space. Yep, that's exactly it. So these, these, these giant space-born geysers just blasting stuff wow. out into space on a regular basis. It's a very evocative image. It's, yeah. very, it's a very cool thing. And we have, um, you know, our telescopes are good enough now that I can't remember the most recent big comet that came through. But some of the more precise high-resolution images, you can see the specific geysers on the surface of the comet blasting stuff yeah. off. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty remarkable thing to, to see. And you get, and they, then they start spinning sometimes, and you get all kinds of cool, cool stuff yeah. that happens from that. Um, I still can't believe we don't have movies filming this stuff yet. I, I get the technological limitations, and I know mm -hmm. they would be filming movies if they could, for sure. Um, whether it's right, well, if, or if you know any film producers with connections in the space industry, um, say sitting in your living room, you should talk to them. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I know. I know Carl Sagan would have done it. Oh, totally. Have, yeah, if he could have. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So those comets. So that all that debris that gets blasted off um, uh, stays in the orbit of the uh, of the comet. Um, and eventually gets used up, right? Eventually it'll crash into the sun or uh, drift off or whatnot, but it gets left behind long enough that we can run into it on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, so I think for the best starting point for our IF is just a lot more comets in our solar system. Uh -huh. um, so that there's just a lot more debris left behind. Um, and that's pretty easy to do because surely in our the early years of our solar system, there would have been a lot more objects zooming around right right there was even that period called what was it the the, the late heavy bombardment uh yeah that's <laughs> right so here on so everything in our solar system gets smashed on a regular basis by uh celestial bodies um oh i thought you meant you're talking about like new year's eve parties <laughs> well that that too i guess um uh but here on earth um uh, we've got exciting weather and erosion and such, so those the the traces of those impacts get worn away relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, whereas, say on the moon, um, there's no erosion, so you can just look up there and see those um, uh, the the remnants of that bombardment. Um, and as you say, they get they get cool names like the light heavy bombardment and the early heavy bombardment and the late light bombardment and so on. Um, and basically, that's um, uh, poorly paid grad students stared at photographs of the, the lunar surface back in the 50s um, and sort of counted up the craters. <laughs> and, mm. and by looking on which craters were on top of which other craters, you can say, okay, it looks like the big craters were formed before the smaller ones later because the smaller ones are on top of the big ones and so on. Yeah. Um, and by that, you can kind of reconstruct the, the impact history of the solar system. Um, by looking at these other celestial bodies, uh, because here on Earth we we forget easily. Right, right. Go ahead. So I was going to ask, you know, if we've got way more of these comets, say even just you know with our normal level of comet debris, how much of this stuff actually really makes it to Earth versus ah, that's a really burning up in the atmosphere? Good question. Yeah. So the vast so because comets are icy. 
um, they burn up very, their, their remnants burn up easily in the solar system, right? Um, because ice is fragile and it breaks up. So it's almost never happens that, um, debris from a comet reaches the surface. Uh, what can reach the surface is remnants of asteroids because rock and metal mm. is tougher, right? Um, so the rocky ones still usually break up, um, but they do make it to the surface, uh, uh, occasionally. So, the, and then metal ones um, uh, can do it more easily. So the, the debris that makes it to the um, surface of the Earth is not usually the regular annual things like the Perseids, because that's comet debris, which breaks up really easily. Um, instead, the stuff that makes it to the surface is the weirdo chunk of asteroid that happens to smack into us um, uh, every now and then. And those ones are much less predictable, so you can't you, you can't know, uh, unless you're watching very carefully, you can't know that that stuff is, gonna ma is going to hit us. It, uh, uh, Neil Tyson, um, I got to visit him once um, and at, in his office at the uh, Hayden Planetarium. And he keeps in his desk, and I, I know now that he shows this to everybody. I wasn't the only one who got to see this. Everyone I've ever met that has gotten to visit Neil Tyson said, did he show you? And uh, what he showed us was uh, in his desk, he pulls out the drawer and he picks up a chunk of uh, a shiny chunk, a little bit of a uh, copper color. And he says, uh, this, is a, this is a piece of the, a huge piece of the uh, meteor, uh, of the meteor that made the crater in Arizona, that made oh, meteor crater in Arizona. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then you get to hold, he hands it to you and you hold it and it's, unbelievably heavy I, um i think it was it must have been lead or something like that it was just well probably oh. iron iron oh nickel. iron, iron um, yeah. yeah it's not often you actually hold a, a chunk of solid metal in your hand yeah um so it's kind of a shocking um, i mean incredibly heavy mm -hmm, incredibly yeah. heavy something about the size of your hand and it just ugh, it was hard to hold um very cool very cool so uh gabby you were saying as a kid you were scared of meteor showers well, it's just that? one of those things that as a kid you expect to be a bigger deal in your life, like quicksand or lava, mm. that <laughs> like every cartoon sort of tells you that something's going to happen about this. Yeah. Um, and I think as a kid maybe you don't have necessarily the best grasp on like comet versus asteroid and like mm -hmm. sure. stellar debris differences. So all you know is the story of like the woman that got hit by one in her living room and yeah. you're like, it's going to happen to me. Yep. This is just what life is, I guess, yeah. on planet Earth. I'm going to get hit with an asteroid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So there's a, a very, I mean, people disagree on how many known injuries there have been from meteors. Um, uh, but it's certainly count, single like, digits. Yeah. Well, if you count the one that killed the dinosaurs... I'd kind of bump that number up. Just well, so more. this is actually this is actually kind of a tricky thing because you know we have a an office of planetary defense now, right? Whose job it is to try and spot hazardous impactors um, before yeah. they hit and hopefully protect the the planet from them. Um, I think but, this office is one person actually. That's good. Well, that's right. There's a planetary defense coordinator. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, they have a very nice website and everything, so it's got to be official. It's got to be. Uh, but this is um, back, you know, 30 years ago or so when um, asteroid scientists were first trying to kind of alert the government to this as a danger and to try to get funding for 
for our planetary protection office. Um, it's tricky because you go to your congressperson and you say, we need to spend $100 million on protecting the planet from asteroids. And then your congressperson says, oh my God, how many people die from, from meteors every year? And you have to say, well, zero. Um, and they say, so why should we be spending money to protect the planet from something that doesn't hurt anybody? And I say, well, because if one does hit, then the number of people who are going to die is like a billion. So we need to, and, and, you know, even if only one of those asteroids hits us every 50 million years, if you divide the entire population of the earth by 50 million years, that turns out that statistically like thousands of people die a year from asteroid mm -hmm. impacts. And of course that's not true, right? Nobody dies of asteroid impacts, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but statistically lots of us do. Um, so how worried you should be about that is actually a, a deeply ambiguous question. And, um, oh, and that's a, a weird thing. Um, but for instance, if we didn't, but this is, um, one of the, the odd things to think about is that we are, we meaning the earth are constantly showered by this cosmic debris. Um, some of it is icy and burns up easily. Some of it is rocky and, uh, does not burn up quite so easily. Um, so uh, you know, every day the Earth gets hit by significant size pieces of cosmic debris, but almost all of it bur either burns up in the atmosphere or lands in the ocean. So we just don't notice it at all. Um, but like if you do the calculations and ignore the atmosphere, then it turns out that we are getting rained on constantly. And we would, and then actually thousands of people would be dying every year from, from these impacts if we didn't have the atmosphere protecting us. Um, so be grateful for our little atoms of nitrogen and oxygen. Um, yeah. And we can't say, you know, we have the space station is up there and the space station is still a tiny bit in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. but, um, but basically essentially exposed and they get um, micrometeorites, uh, which can be quite deadly. Yeah. If you're in the wrong place at high speeds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They get micrometeorites all the time. Um, so uh, when, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, we had the World Book Encyclopedia, which I think I've mentioned in the past. And I remember you, I would look up meteor or meteor shower, and they the illustration in the encyclopedia was like a woodcut from, I don't know, the 1800s or 1700s or something, of this massive meteor shower that had fallen over London or something like that. I just remember images of like these Victorian people or whatever standing on their rooftops looking up, and thousands of bright stars are falling from the sky. Mm -hmm. Which I just assumed that was that's a meteor shower, and weren't those people about to be burned alive? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was I was terrified of meteor showers growing up. Um, but uh, what if they? What the if? What the if is uh, this week? Is what what is? Mm -hmm. What if they were dangerous and frequent? So, like the rain. Okay. So let's imagine. Um, go ahead, Gabby. Well, I was going to say, I was thinking of a way to potentially make this more dangerous. Yeah. Because it seems like comets are not going to do it, right? Yeah. They're mm -hmm. just pretty, they burn up easily, they're flash in the pan like a TikTok star. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. What I am now imagining is eventually we talk about stuff like asteroid mining and whatnot, uh -huh. that we're going to probably be bringing asteroids and stuff closer so we can just like harvest the crap out of them. And I'm imagining we're going to be really crap with space trash 
then, oh, just yeah, like we yeah. are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if we're asteroid mining, say, anywhere near us, all of a sudden that's a lot more tiny pebbles that are going to be crashing <laughs> into the atmosphere, and some of which making it through. Um, so a mm-hmm. bit of a crisis of our own making. Yeah, uh, so, I could totally, I could totally buy that. And in fact, one of the problems with asteroid mining is how to get the mater- the valuable material back to the surface of the Earth. And a really easy solution is actually just to dump it. That is, just chuck it into the atmosphere. Um, and it's gonna <laughs> if it's if it's big and metal, and even if you lose half of your platinum asteroid on its way down, that's still pretty valuable by the time it hits. Um, so yeah, so I could totally imagine um, a, a steady stream of industrial debris coming down into our atmosphere. Um, yeah, I could see Jeff Bezos doing that. For some mm-hmm. He seems like yeah. you know old school industrialist. Just dump it. Yeah, and there's a sense in which who's going to stop him, right? There's no, there's no space police, um, right? There's no, right. there's neither any rules nor enforcement mechanism. Um, yeah, so at least so part of those showers of debris are just going to be pretty, right? So every night, every night's going to be a Perseid oh, yeah. meteor shower. Yeah. Um, so that could be quite quite nice. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, the big chunks that make it to the the, the surface. Um, uh, are the ones that are going to be problematic. So presumably we want, assuming the industrialists don't want to destroy humanity, and that's definitely an open question, right? <laughs> um, they're they're not going to try to drop big rocks, meaning like 100 meters across. Um, but if they can drop meter size rocks, um, that's still enough to cause a good size explosion. Um, so... Uh, then the meteor showers are, in fact, going to be quite dangerous, um, and that could be. And one of the things you can so if you if you've um, uh, if you've sat out and watched meteor showers before, you'll notice that there's sort of a directionality to them. Um, that yes. is, it looks like they come from a certain point in the sky, uh, and then trace trajectories uh, uh, across the the sky. So the the reason we name them things like the Perseids is because they seem to come out of the constellation Perseus. Um, So you can, I think that's all to say that meteors have a particular trajectory across the sky. Um, So you could like tell if the meteor shower was aimed at you per se, or was (laughs) going to be zooming past you to hit somewhere else. Uh, And that would be an interesting skill to pick up uh, at a quick glance. Is tonight's meteor shower coming down on me or down on my neighbors. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it is it going to be a fun thing to watch? Uh, is it okay to go out onto our rooftops and, and watch? Right, uh, right. Or we go right. down? That may be an important addition to the weather forecast, actually. Yeah, because yeah. this would be happening during the day, too, right? So if you can't really see uh, it as much. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's another important thing to, to think about is that there is, even during the day, there are constant... There, there's constantly meteor debris falling through the atmosphere, um, even during the day. It's just that the sun is bright enough that you can't see it, typically. Um, but when there's big ones, for instance, so the uh, the uh, asteroid fragment that hit um, Chelyabinsk, oh, I guess probably a good 10 years ago now, yeah. um, oh, that was the middle of the day. And those videos are really eerie, actually. There's yeah. something about a totally bright sky with an even brighter flaming object coming yeah. down through it. Um, that's pretty freaky. Yeah. yeah, and the huge trail that yep. behind okay. it. It's mm-hmm. really crazy. Um, now, could you, there's there's going to be a range of sizes of the things, of the pieces that come raining down on you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
would an umbrella be of any use? Or would, so, I mean, are, are are people in this world having to walk around with um, titanium umbrellas or something? I mean, well, it's so it's one of these geometric things where there's there's going to be lots of tiny debris, and then increasingly. And then as the the piece of rock you're interested in gets bigger, there's dramatically less of it. So you would probably get a steady stream of sand-sized particles falling Oof. on you. Um, in which case, yeah, an umbrella would be quite handy, actually, because otherwise your hair gets full of debris, and that's, that's yeah. no good, right? Um, uh, and then rarely, uh, you know, your umbrella will get punctured. Um, I suspect... That would happen rarely enough that it would not be worth carrying around a titanium umbrella. Um, But maybe that would be a um, conspicuous consumption kind of thing, right? The the rich people carry around titanium umbrellas and the poor (laughs) people carry around plastic umbrellas. Um, And uh, uh, that would would actually be kind of um, of fun. In fact, maybe you'd make a a sticky kind of umbrella too to catch some of the particles too. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, because then your umbrella gets crusted over with bits of celestial debris. Yes. Um, and you could have one that glows. It, maybe it's like a black umbrella that glows every time it, at the uh, it gets, spot it gets it popped. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be good yeah. fun, actually. I could go yeah. for that. Yeah. It but yeah, I suspect hats would be more popular if nothing else. I was going to say yeah. the hats. It reminds me people might just walk around in hard hats. Like mm-hmm. hard hats, have, mm-hmm. I've always found hard hats interesting that clearly it's not meant to protect you if a entire steel beam falls on your head but it's no to it's not from it's, small things it's to protect you from when um your co-worker drops uh, their hammer from yeah. three stories up and then yeah. it bounces off your head yeah. um uh, yeah so that's probably a good analogy yeah. yeah how much damage can like a golf ball sized thing coming from literally space do oh that's like, a golf ball sized hail is pretty Pretty devastating. I can't it's pretty dangerous, you add right? Extra yes. <laughs> and also density to whatever that is. Um, yeah. So that's uh, so. By the time um, it hits the surface of the Earth, uh, it did start off at celestial speeds. So that is, you know, the the Earth goes around the Sun at about twenty five thousand miles per hour. So that means that's how fast the the debris we're hitting is is roughly moving. Um, the atmosphere slows it down a lot. Um, and a lot will get burned off uh, on its way down too. So a um, golf ball size one um, could, uh, you know, it'll crack your windshield. Um, that you know that All one right. story that we have of the the woman who had the asteroid uh, come through her um, her roof and hit her. Um, you know that had enough. So that was like fist sized, if I remember right. And that had so. enough. Does that seem right? Yeah. So that had enough yeah. velocity to go through a roof, um, and then she survived getting hit from that. Yeah. So, uh, so that's fast enough to yeah to go through a solid structure, um, which is which you know hail doesn't typically do. So that suggests that that could kill you um, uh, if you actually got hit. Uh, we'd have to really crank up the numbers for. Uh, frequency of impact for people to be regularly hit by that. Um, well, I suspect it, it would st- where it's- yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I suspect it would still be on the order of magnitude of like getting struck by lightning. Right. Ah. It, it does happen, right? But it's still synonymous with a really rare event. 
I was about to say that where like I think it would be probably infrequent, but at the same time, like enough infrequent events happening mm-hmm. constantly do yeah. does kind of amp up the probability of it happening. Well, not probability, but just the numerical incidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Of course, though, the, the society would react. In other words, they, they would, uh, they're part of the weather report, just like when there is going to be a severe lightning, a warning goes out, you know, so mm-hmm. it'd be like, we have extra large meteors today. Don't go out. After, after yeah, that's o'clock. right. And that would make a lot of sense, right? And instead of putting on sunscreen, um, maybe you do right. carry your titanium umbrella um, yeah. or just don't go outside, I suspect. Um, yeah. I suspect the popularity of like glass walled skyscrapers might drop a little bit too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Precipitously, I think. That could be inconvenient. Um, driving down the street, there's going to be big rocks just laying there. And by big, I mean, you know, fist sized, right? Uh, yeah. Just lying in the middle of the street. That could be right. inconvenient too. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, uh, in the same way, you have to shovel your driveway when it's snowing <laughs> or when it's hailing. Yeah. You're going to have to go sweep the the, debris, the dust and the yeah. pebbles off of your, your porch on a regular basis too. Um, that could be a bit of a pain. There. Yeah. Dumb, completely dumb question because I'm imagining mm-hmm. like, but this is all essentially metal, right? That, you know, debris from us really wanting all like bigger chunks of metal, but mm-hmm. this is still kind of metal dust, right? Uh, yeah, you metal know? or stone, but yes. The- yeah. Can you just be walking out with a magnet trying to like, I mean, this stuff is pretty valuable, right? Like how many well, people are going to be like panning Yeah, that's for a really palladium? interesting point. And of course, that's related to the asteroid mining idea we had a, a little while ago is that there, um, there are rare metals like iridium um, that are hard to find on the surface of the earth, but easy to find in meteorites. Um, so, and in fact, like uh, the, the reason Meteor Crater in Arizona gets explored is because there's an industrialist who is, tr- who is convinced that if he can find the actual impactor, he can then mm-hmm. sell it. Like that was mm-hmm. the original that was the original thinking. Um, so, uh, yeah, I can totally imagine a cottage in- industry of people going around and um, filling their pockets uh, with with iridium, say, or neodymium or something like that, uh, and then and then melting it down and and selling it off. Uh, so that'd be kind of cool. Every after every shower, you know, maybe it's the kind of thing where uh, you know nowadays kids will gather up. Um, uh, recyclable cans to get a little extra yeah, pocket yeah. money. Yeah. So yeah. maybe those kids now go and um, sweep up comet or uh, asteroid fragments um, to to sell them at the CVS because there's a asteroid redemption machine where you just yeah. dump in some uh, some <laughs> dust, like Coin Star. Yeah, exactly. For, but uh, Star Star. Yeah. Now there there is a, a a small but thriving community of meteor hunters. Um, yeah, there was that's, a show mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. Uh, briefly. I don't know how long it lasted, but it wasn't that long. But there, for a few seasons, anyway, there was a show on one of the cable networks um, called Meteor Guys or Meteor Men or something like that. Anyway, there were these <laughs> two meteor two, two guys who went out uh, hunting meteors with uh, metal detectors and things like that. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's an interesting hobby. And it's hard to, because we are constantly showered by debris. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't that much. Um, and also once a rock is on the ground, you need to be pretty skilled to distinguish a space rock from just a regular rock, mm-hmm. um, as far as that goes. So there are places that are good for, um, meteorite hunting, um, more than others. So typically that's a place that's really flat. Um, so it doesn't get like 
you know, hidden behind a hill or something or behind a tree or something. Um, and then also places where the ground is a light color because meteorites are usually fairly mm. dark. Um, so the best place in the world is actually Antarctica because you have these um, long, bright white, unbroken landscapes. And if you see a black rock there, that's almost certainly a meteorite. Um, yeah, so deserts and um, ice fields are the best places to go looking for for meteorites. Yes. Um, there's one um, uh, asteroid scientist, a guy named Mike Gaffney, who um, teaches in Minnesota now. Uh, he's from Iowa, and he grew up on a, a farm in Iowa. And his job as a kid was to go and clear rocks uh, from the field so they could plant corn. Um, and he discovered fairly quickly that some of the rocks look different than other rocks. So he got interested in asteroids because he started his collection of meteorites uh, as a kid. Um, he ah, would bring the interesting cool. rocks home and then took them to, if I remember right, his uncle or something was, in a, was a um, professor of astronomy. So when he would see his uncle like once a year, he'd be like, what's up with this rock? And say, oh, that's an asteroid. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So if we go go to the, the site, I love the idea that the industrialists are dumping uh, all this stuff intentionally. So they would be, uh, they mined it somewhere, they turned something to uh, dust, and the stuff is falling now at a, at a place intentionally, right? What does uh, right. it look, yeah. look like at that site? Um, well, so you want to... They don't want, so presumably they get the asteroid into orbit, say, and then blow it up um, or mm. carve up, maybe more, who want to think of more civilized. Um, <laughs> they, they carve off big chunks of it. Um, uh -huh. I would want to carve off like eh, house sized chunks, maybe. Like pastrami. Like pastrami, yes. Right? <laughs> and then they push that down into the atmosphere. And as you say, presumably they have some plan of where it's going to land so they can recover right. it easily. And then that house sized chunk will break up. Um, on its way down through the atmosphere. And let's say half of it makes it to the surface in a single chunk that they can then pick up and mm -hmm. sell. Um, the other half of it will break into smaller and smaller chunks um, uh, and then uh, rain down. So, you know, most of it is the car-sized chunk and then there's lots of fist-sized chunks and there's lots and lots of little pebbles and then huge amounts of dust. So from the surface of the earth, you would see this big fireball um, coming down. And at the tip of the fireball will be that biggest chunk. But then drifting behind it will be all of the smaller chunks. So uh, were I a person <laughs> living at that uh, in that time, um, I'd watch for those fireballs uh, in yeah. my neighborhood. Um, I could probably, I'll bet the industrials will probably have to announce ahead of time where it's coming down. Um, but I would try to put myself in a uh, sphere close to um, the path where the big chunk is coming down um, because all the smaller parts will kind of fall down behind it as it comes down. Um, so that would be a good place to be uh, filling up my um, my pockets. Oh, the scavengers are. Uh, I think that's on the right. So yeah. it'd be like I don't know the tornado chasers, right? Where the group of people uh -huh. kind of sit and wait, um, knowing vaguely where it might be, and then somebody says, "Oh, it's over there!" Yeah, and then everybody yeah. hops in their uh, pickup trucks and and drives over that way. Uh, cool. I think there would be a huge community, and because this would be an extremely valuable um, hobby. Yeah. Uh, so I can imagine, I can well imagine a, a serious community of um, people who who patrol the world 
um, watching for these streaks in the sky uh, and then zooming over to try and get up the, the, the valuable chunks um, yeah, that right. fall behind it. I can imagine even there are regular places where the you know, regular landing sites for these mm-hmm. things. So you know, a whole city could be built up on the outskirts. Yeah, that would be a that would be a tough one, right? Because both it would be a convenient place to live for scavenging, but also by definition a place that regularly has rocks rained on it from the sky. Right, right. It'd be like <laughs> one of those one of those horrible. I was just watching a documentary about these uh, cities in Siberia that are um, they were purely built for for the chemical industry, Soviet chemical oh, yeah. industry or mm-hmm. whatever, and they're just like the most toxic places in the world which is a terrible it's a tragedy i'm not saying it's a cool thing mm-hmm. but there was a post-apocalyptic <laughs> kind of fascination with places like that yeah these, i think that's probably one of those places. that's probably a good analogy actually right because it would be extremely difficult to regulate because as we said there's no space police up there yeah, yeah. um so as much as people complained about it almost certainly the industrialists will get away with it uh, as much as they want yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be this totally unregulated, uh, fairly dangerous uh, activity yeah. um, that is extru- that could could potentially be quite lucrative. Because if you're the person who gets the head size chunk of uranium, you know, or iridium, sorry, um, yeah. that you know that's your your life's fortune there. Wow! Um, so that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I can imagine ordering something up on Amazon, you know, it's like I, I need a piece of palladium or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, you know, it's just dropped right through my roof. Land <laughs> uh, that would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but fast. Day, mm-hmm. One yep. one day delivery. <laughs> I, I have to ask, because, you know, this is asteroids constantly raining down on the Earth in pretty big chunks, right? Mm-hmm. What does this do to the climate? I mean, mm. the... Uh, yeah. You're constantly lighting things on fire in the atmosphere. You are vaporizing palladium and iridium and all of um, that into the atmosphere. What's what is that going to do? That's a really good question, actually. Um, the the atmospheric effects um, that are well known from uh, meteor showers are actually um, uh, ionospheric. Uh, that is, um, they leave behind these big electrically charged trails in the sky. Uh, and that's a problem for things like radio transmissions. Um, yeah. So meteor showers are actually hugely inconvenient for long-range radio transmission um, oh, because they fill the sky with all of this uh, electrical charge because um, the dust is all electrified. Um, in terms of the meteorological effects, I guess bring us full circle back to Aristotle, um, we don't really know um, because, you know, our... the the kind of contexts in which we have lots of dust dumped into the atmosphere is things like volcanic eruptions. So mm-hmm. if it's like that, then that generates big thunderstorms. Um, it creates cooling effects, too, um, because the dust blocks sunlight. Uh, so, yeah, if we had huge amounts of debris coming down, we might actually get some global cooling effects from that uh, with, yeah. with the, the dust in the atmosphere. Um, really pretty sunsets. Um, yeah. cold, oh. colder winters, uh, and I suspect probably lots of asthma. Um, as this is also one of the, the problems you get near volcanic eruptions is um, our lungs don't like that fine volcanic dust. Yeah, and that's what Perhaps happened to the di- dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dinosaurs didn't um, have in- inhalers, and they were uh, wiped out. That's right. No, no inhalers, no pants. That's their yeah. problem. No yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, thank you, Matt. Again, another 
absolutely spectacular journey through the world of if. Um, <laughs> amazing. We will uh, continue this discussion only for uh, our Patreon members. We'll get to hear extended discussions, more from Matt and Gabby. Um, and myself, if I choose to uh, chip in what useless knowledge I have um, and pop culture references uh, on our uh, bonus uh, content, uh, which is only for Patreon members, patreon.com slash what they have. If you don't know what that is, just go check it out. What's this? What's Patreon? Uh, it's a membership program we have, and uh, there's all kinds of cool merch. There's T-shirts and mugs, stickers, all kinds of fun things. And uh, every week... Um, an extended episode, uh, extended uh, bonus episode, only for Patreon members. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, Matt uh, or Gabby, anything you would like to plug? Anything exciting coming up in 2023? Oh, um, no, not yet anyway. No, just slow start. It's good. We'll ramp yeah. it up. Ramp it up. Yeah, still still about the same for me. We'll see. I'll hope maybe I'll have something to talk about in a couple of weeks. It depends how fast that uh, the that anthology is a bit delayed so oh. I, uh, oh, right i'll announce on. when it actually comes out okay well. exciting 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 um uh gabby would you help us uh understand the for our first mm. closing ritual of 2023 uh what what is this first for the uninitiated the people who survived they survived their first episode they made it through the meteor shower uh, to the end how do we celebrate now yeah, so as we are standing on a hill watching this gigantic house-sized asteroid barrel towards the Earth and splinter apart above us, we cannot help but shout the name of the show in unison together. What? Funky music all the way till the end. Weird flanger effects. Like the little, like, like if you're, uh, I don't know, if you have an electric guitar with one of those cool pedals, a wah-wah pedal and the flanger. Somebody hit the flanger today. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a happy new year and, and uh, are keeping up with your New Year's resolutions. We'll see you next week. <laughs>